Hey everybody, it's Mark Herzlick, former New York Giants linebacker. And I was just listening to the brand new podcast, D-Blitz. Got me going during my workout. Take care. Welcome back to another episode of D-Blitz. My name is Anthony DeBona. You can follow me on Twitter at ByADeBona. You can also follow the show on Twitter at The Blitz Podcast. As always, please follow and subscribe on whatever listening platform you're using. If you are using Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star review. We really do appreciate it. As always, I'm joined by my co-host and brother, John DeBona. You can follow him on Twitter at Jorge Blanco. That's H-O-R-H-A-Y-B-L-A-N-C-O. And this is a very, very special episode because we are joined by University of Wisconsin-Whitewater offensive lineman and 2021 NFL draft prospect. That's right. The man, the myth, the legend. Quinn Miners, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm doing good. What a what an intro. <laughs> I, I just had to do it. All right, John, what do you got? Well, listen, if Jim Nagy's going to call him the legend, then I think it's fair that everybody calls him the legend. <laughs> now, That's funny. Quinn, um, I know you played three sports in high school. You were a track athlete, you wrestled, and you played football. What brought you to University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, and how did you end up solely doing football? Yeah, so, in, in, you know, in high school, you know, you know, I did a lot of football growing up, and, you know, I kind of wanted to be a multi-sport athlete. So um, I kind of was convinced by one of the seniors when I was a freshman in high school to come up for wrestling because just the, the, trans, the translation between being a good football player and a good wrestler were, were very similar. Uh, but yeah, coming up through through high school, yeah, three sport athlete. I uh, didn't really have a lot of you know offers to go anywhere to you know play ball, go to school. Uh, I had one Division two offer at St. Cloud State, and then a, you know a couple D three um, with uh, uh, UW Lacrosse and UW Whitewater. And Whitewater ended up being the best decision for me. And you know I you know decided to stay with football only, and that's because you know it's a pretty long season and it's you can't really overlap in college, you know, and do multiple sports. Like if I would do track in, in college, I would miss spring ball. And so f- football in college is kind of like a, a year round thing. It's hard to do multiple sports. And uh, so you talk about missing time and you actually did miss your entire final season of college due to unfortunately COVID-19. So a couple of weeks back, you were luckily uh, you earned it. You were invited to the senior bowl. And um, how was your experience there? I know it was the first time in obviously a while actually playing football. You were playing across some highly touted prospects. How did that week go? And, and what did it feel like? being coached by some NFL coaches and being around NFL caliber players. Yeah. First off, it was just like super exciting to put the pads back on and, you know, put my Warhawk helmet back on and, and go out there and represent, you know, not only whitewater football, but division three football, uh, you know, at the entire week, I just had fun the entire time. I, I was able to learn so much, you know, with, you know, an NFL staff, you know, learning an NFL style playbook. Granted it was, you know, fairly basic, but still, you know, a lot of the terminology and, and type of plays, you know, were a little bit new to me, as well as uh, learning a new position on the job, um, you know, learning to play center. You know, you can only do so much in the backyard and stuff without a season. So it was cool to be able to go battle test it. But, yeah, I had a lot of fun competing against, you know, the big the big name guys, and I just had a fun week. Now, I know you stood out to be your opposition during practice, because you were named the offensive lineman of the week in a vote by your opposing players, so how much of an honor was that? It really, yeah, it was. You know, because coming in there, you know, it was really just a great honor. Um, you know, coming into the week, 
I think nobody knew who I was, like, whatsoever. And by the end of the week, it seemed like everyone kind of knew, knew who I was, you know, coming in there. Not very many people, you know, were talking to me or anything like that. They saw, they probably saw the Warhawk on, on my shirt and shorts, and they're like, who is, what is this? <laughs> but, you know, it was cool to be able to end the week with a lot of people, under, you know, knowing what Warhawk football is. Yeah, it was awesome to see because uh, I started following you a while back when I came across your highlight tape. And immediately I shared it with my brother, John, and we were just fell in love with how you were getting to the second level and just destroying these poor guys in the secondary. So then once I saw that you got invited to the senior bowl, I was really excited. And um, I read, I saw an interview you did with um, Chargers Wire, and you had told them that you did some off-season training for three weeks with Duke Manyweather and uh, Rashawn Slater, who's actually a top prospect in, in this year's draft. And how was that for you? Yeah, it was awesome to, to you know, spend three weeks with uh, with uh, Duke and Rashawn. Um, you know, I was able to kind of, you know, fix and tweak a couple things with my stance that would allow me to be, you know, more explosive. And it was really a, my first opportunity to kind of show, you know, someone in the community that, you know, matters a lot, at least with offensive line play. You know, I've you know, the normal process, you know, a lot of scouts would be coming to the school and they'd have a chance to see what I look like and stuff like that. So this is the real first opportunity for someone to be able to see what I've been working on for so long. And then he was able to kind of tweak a couple things and, um, you know, talk through how to, you know, play as an offensive lineman in the NFL. Now, uh, coming off that question, sorry, I lost my place for a minute. Um, Basically, I just wanted to ask you, we, we can sit here all day and do the hardcore football questions, but I have an important question. And now you did amateur wrestling. You trained in the middle of the wilderness up in Canada. I have to ask, you have a good personality. You seem to be very sort of aware of how to present yourself and sell yourself. You also mentioned that you liked the Pat McAfee show and you became an Aaron Rodgers fan more after hearing him on that. Have you given any thought, seeing the transition that Pat McAfee himself had, to maybe down the line, hopefully after a very long, very successful NFL career, maybe jumping in that pro wrestling ring? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, I, I can't do it, man. Like, once once I'm done with football, it's going to be slim down and, and get skinny again because, uh, you know, the 300-plus-pound lifestyle, you know, it's – it's sometimes it sometimes can be a grind waking up in the morning. I know all the people that are around my size can can definitely relate to that. But no, when I'm when I'm done, I'm gonna be done, and I'm gonna spend my time relaxing. <laughs> uh, that's, I'm gonna be honest with you. That's a little disappointing. Being a big fan of both football and wrestling, seeing you dunk that ball, I, I was seeing shades of Brock Lesnar there. So <laughs> <laughs> Brock Lesnar is a beast. <laughs> well, um, like you mentioned that uh, coming up in the Division Three. Have you got a chance to actually reach out to uh, any of the former guys that, that came to the Senior Bowl and turn, kind of turned around their draft stock and raised their draft stock like Ali, Ali Marpet and Ben Barch did a couple years ago? Yeah, before the – like a week out from the Senior Bowl, uh, Ben Barch actually reached out to me, you know, once it, you know, once it was public that I was going to the Senior Bowl. And, uh, yeah, he, he just kind of wanted to be a resource and answer any questions that I had. So it was cool that, you know, he was able to – you know, talk to me. Uh, you know, there's, I have a, a teammate of mine that was a senior in 2018 at Whitewater that kind of went through the same process. He didn't go to the senior bowl, but he went to the NFL PA bowl at the time. So I, I've had a, you know, a couple of resources that 
have reached out to, you know, kind of help me as I'm going through my process. Now, again, bouncing back to the more serious topics, um, you mentioned Culver's. You said you're a big Culver's guy in an interview. If you're getting a concrete from Culver's, what's inside of it? Um, it's it's pretty much chocolate ice cream with uh, cookie dough bites in it. That's the cookie dough by far is the, my favorite. So cookie dough is your uh, topping of choice. Are we getting any syrup or anything else mixed in, or are we just straight cookie dough? You know, if we're going like super cheat day, I, I mean, I'll put a little peanut butter in there too. Some peanut butter, chocolate, and cookie dough. Sounds delicious. All right, so one, while awesome. we're on that topic, it's one. I got one more uh, food question for you. I know the Senior Bowl is the Reese's Senior Bowl, but if you had to choose another go-to candy besides Reese's, what would it be? I would probably pick Milky Way. Ooh, okay. Yeah, Milky Way and then, like, Kit Kat. Those are, those are some pretty solid candy choices. Kit Kat's a classic. Can't go wrong with a Kit Kat. Yeah, especially, like, during Halloween time whenever they had, like, the orange ones. <laughs> <laughs> those are those are like gold when it came to trading candy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, one more question too from me. Um, we've heard that your nickname, both in high school and college separately, is the Gut. How have you not merchandised this? I should see the Gut shirts everywhere. I want shirts that say "No Gut, No Glory." I want a shirt that's a knockoff of the old Nickelodeon Guts logo. I want a shirt that just says "Let the Belly Breathe." There is so much merchandising opportunities here. You've got to be making money off of this. You know, you know, I, I don't know. I really haven't, <clears throat> I haven't really looked into it too much. But, uh, but yeah, like you said, I've been just rocking the gut out for a really long time, and it was kind of funny to see everybody, you know, I don't know, let it just take off. The media kind of took off with it, and it was, it was really funny to see how much it, how much attention the gut got. <laughs> Well, as I was say, I played. I was a very poor offensive lineman for a few years between high school and semi-pro. But you really don't see offensive linemen getting enough attention, and just a little thing like that, just having your belly out, did enough to get people to notice you. And I feel like more offensive, more offensive linemen, especially, really need to show a little bit more personality. And I think that goes a long way. Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, you know, coming from offensive line, I think the offensive lineman room. You know, it's always has tons of character in it. But, uh, but yeah, it's, I think a lot of people are, kind of have a gut out, you know, during practice. I think I don't think I'm the only one. I think just people are noticed that I did it. But, uh, yeah. And uh, as, as a diehard Eagles fan myself, the, uh, the second I heard that you were making that transition to center or at least trying it out at the Senior Bowl, I immediately thought, wow, he really reminds me of Jason Kelsey. And uh, Jason Kelsey is another me- uh, member of the Gut Club. He's always rocking that short jersey in practice. Yes. So uh, is there yeah. any NFL player that you kind of look up to or, or look, hope to emulate at the next level? Yeah, I've, since I've been, you know, learning a lot of center and going through that, I think a person that I relate to or try to mimic a little bit with my play style is uh, Ryan Jensen. I just, the way he plays is just awesome. You know, he's, he's physical, he's mean, he's, you know, helping his teammates out. I think he's just, you know, all around a great team player. But, I mean, Jason Kelsey's another great one. I mean, his athleticism is, is insane when he's pulling around the corner. But, you know, as I've been, you know, trying to mimic my game after uh, somebody, it's been mostly Ryan Jensen. And I just got one more for you in regards to Ryan Jensen. I know that he was actually um, at the O-line mastermind summit that Duke Manyweather, Manyweather ran uh, last season. 
would you have uh, any interest in attending that and learning from some of these uh, veterans from the NFL? A hundred percent. That would be like a dream come true to be able to be in a room full of just top tier talent and to be able to go up to somebody like Ryan Jensen that, you know, I look up to and just, you know, build, you know, shake his hand, talk a little football and that would be, that would be a really cool experience. I know, you know, at that online mastermind, there's a lot of things, you know, that you can learn, not only football, but how to take care of your body and stuff through the little um, videos that have come out. Now, I got to ask, I know you said you grew up a Packers fan. You were in a Packers household, being from Wisconsin and all. And you said you've become a Patriots fan over the years. You appreciate the way that they play everybody to their strengths and really get the most out of guys. How did your father handle your transition from Packers fan to Pats fan? Yeah, I wasn't really appreciated. But, uh, you know, we're not like super diehard football fans in the house. So it was just like, it was like whatever kind of a thing. But, but yeah, it wasn't, you know, a great, a great moment. But, yeah. That's good that family still comes first. Um, if I could stay on the topic of family for one second. I heard you mention in another interview that you played League of Legends and it's a good way to keep in touch with your brother and sisters. Um, how many siblings do you have? And w- what is it like with them as far as sports? Are they fans of any teams? Or are you all kind of you all kind of stay away from sports when you're not playing? How does that go? <clears throat> yeah, so I have, um, I have two brothers and a sister and a stepbrother and a stepsister. So we have kind of a big, big family. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, like I said, our, our family isn't like super diehard into football, you know, that, you know, most of us are, are Packers fans, but other than that, just football fans in general. So, you know, whenever we're playing video games together or stuff like that, it's not like always football, 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 which is, which is kind of nice, you know, especially during a football season and whatever it's, it really is football every single day. So whenever I'm able to go home and it's kind of a little bit of a break from, you know, football yeah it's always good to to have that break especially when obviously it's your it's going to be your job now so it's always good to have that time to to, to compress decompress and just take a break but uh obviously now is is where things are going to start ramping up you're going to start your um pre-draft workouts and things like that uh first of all how's that hand injury going and uh where are you doing your pre-draft training yeah the hand's going how's the hand's going well uh just got to wait you know about a week or two it should be fully healed it's just kind of it's kind of a waiting game because you know fortunately it was an in place fracture so pretty much I didn't need any surgery or anything it's just you know just be careful with it and just let it heal on its own um, and with the with the pre draft process I've been training um, at Exos in uh, Frisco Texas. All right, very interesting. I just have one more question in regard to that. I know you obviously were at the Senior Bowl. Is there any chance that you could tell us if there were any teams in particular that seemed especially interested in you or if you want to keep that to yourself, that's fine. Um, I wouldn't say, you know, any team like really jumped out and making it seem like they, you know, enjoyed what I did more than the rest because, you know, there were very uh, short 15 minute interviews and it was kind of like a speed dating type of process. Um, I will answer the question a little bit, but on on Friday there were, you know, extra interviews we were able to do. You know, like if a team could bring in anybody that they wanted for an extra interview if they wanted to do so. And uh, your uh, your Philadelphia Eagles decided to bring me in for an extra interview on Friday. Uh, that's so, it. I'm a Giants fan. That breaks my heart. 
<laughs> and I'm, I'm glad to hear so, that that breaks my heart. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the only tell that I could get, you know, is just that they brought me in for an extra interview. But uh, with your with your Giants, uh, I'm a huge Kevin Zeitler fan, you know, especially coming from Wisconsin. We actually um, – he's from a school that's in, the, in, our, in our conference. You know, he's older than me, but still uh, – I gotta be it's honest. Cool to be able to connect with Kevin Zeitler. I was say I gotta be honest. Nothing against Nick Gates, but man, I would like to see you lining up next to Zeitler next year. <laughs> yeah, Zeitler is is awesome. I was able to talk to him uh, this past summer because he was actually training at the same gym I was um, in Wisconsin. So yeah, he's an awesome dude. That's great to hear. All right, and I just have uh, one more question, more of a serious one to to end this off. But um, I noticed you talked about representing uh, Alana Shelster at the Senior Bowl. And can you tell us about the Hugs for Alana charity and, and the things that were going on with that? Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll touch on it a little bit. Um, yeah, so the, the Hugs for Elena, she, you know, has a rare form of, I believe it's GLUT1. And, like, I'm pretty sure, you know, she's one of the only people in the world that has, that has this. So, you know, it's affected um, – my co- my offensive line coach in high school, his name's Paul Shelsta. You know, I, I could just tell how much it has affected, you know, their family and stuff. And you know, I really wanted to make sure that I could do something special. I've been wanting to try. I've been wanting to do something special since high school. When I whenever I found out about it, and you know, as and when, I, when we got those stickers for the senior ball, I just wanted to, you know, do something special because I've been thinking about it for so long, and it felt like the perfect moment to be able to do something. That's really good to hear. All right. So I think that about does it for our interview with you. With you. Um, we really do appreciate you taking the time to do this. We're both obviously huge fans of your game. I wish you the best when, when your future, whether it's with the Giants or hopefully with my Eagles. I uh, hope that hand <laughs> heals up quickly, and uh, we look forward to speaking to you in the future maybe. I, I wish you the best, provided it's not with another NFC East team other than the Giants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it, guys. I had a lot of fun. Hey everyone, it's time to take a quick break and talk about this week's sponsor, Fanspeak.com. Fanspeak.com is the sports fan's interactive toolbox. Draft season is approaching and Fanspeak has everything necessary to keep yourself entertained during the offseason. They have recently launched Ultimate GM 2021, which allows you to use their on-the-clock mock draft simulator and their manage-the-cap free agency simulator completely ad-free. You'll be able to seamlessly simulate the entire offseason from the draft to free agency for whoever your favorite team is. Go to fanspeak.com now to check out everything they have to offer. Thanks again to Quinn Miners for that uh, taking the time to do that wonderful interview with us. But earlier this morning, we had the biggest news of the day in the NFL world when the Houston Texans surprisingly didn't trade defensive end J.J. Watt. They actually just outright released him. So what did you think about that move, John? The initial announcement was surprising, but... One thing that made it a little bit less surprising, I didn't realize they had no cap hit by cutting him now. So he was going to count $17.5 million against the cap. They saved that entire thing with no dead money. I think that makes a big difference. I mean, I'm a little surprised somebody didn't offer something for him because even though he's, his numbers are definitely down a lot the last couple of years, he's still a big name. He's still a guy who's going to move tickets, who's going to move jerseys who's going to be a big media guy for you, even if he's not on the field anywhere near what he was. But 
so from that perspective, I'm a little surprised they didn't get something for him. But I wonder if it was more doing him a favor a little bit too, of like he because he came out right away and said that he asked for his release, and he's been the model citizen for that franchise, done everything the right way, been a team guy, never complained in the past. So I wonder if there was some like, all right, he's on the wrong side of thirty. We don't think he's going to be like a guy who really comes back to bite us because the last two years he had five sacks and four sacks. So, and a little bit more with the QB hits, 17 hits this year, 21 last year. Um, and he played less games last year, he played half the games. But I just think they view him as a guy who's just average now. And so they felt like he was expendable. And when he asked for his release, they were like, all right, let's just let's just cut bait and maybe save a little bit of face with the locker room too, where it's like, we're not going to penalize you. We're not going to keep you here forever. Granted, it throws a wrench into things with the Deshaun situation. But financially, and where they both are in their career, they are very different situations. Yeah, and I feel like in the the first time the Deshaun Watson news came out that he wanted wanted out of Houston, we both immediately said, like, does that mean that they're going to be moving on from J.J. Watt? So well, we've both, I mean, I've assumed that, that it would likely be a trade and they could probably get maybe like a second or third round pick. But it seems like, like you alluded to, they pretty much, like, this is what he wanted. And they were just trying to do right by the player, which, like you said, is kind of the opposite of what they've done with Deshaun Watson. But I think it's obviously a completely different situation. J.J. Watt spent his entire career since 2011 with the Texans. The guy's literally done everything on and off the field for that franchise that he could. So it is just like, I don't know if it's the best for both sides, but since it seems like they're moving into like a new era of the franchise, it makes sense to move on from him. But now it'll be fun to see where he goes because obviously I think a report came out that said he's going to take a week to himself to just relax and take a break and then he's going to start I guess I don't know if he could take visits or meetings with teams or however it's going to be but since he was cut now I think he could sign with anybody immediately he doesn't have to wait for I, the start of the league, the league year so yeah I, th- I mean I'm not 100% on that but I think if you're cut you're allowed to immediately sign I could be wrong but yeah, especially a player with his amount of years in league. I think there's rules based on that. Like, if it was a different, yeah. younger player, he'd be placed on waivers, but he was just outright released. So he'll be able to go around. Um, do you have a specific team in mind that you think um, he would be a best fit for or who should go after him? Well, I was looking at the cap space situations. And as it stands right now, and I know these are all fluid and they may not be 100% accurate, but this was, I think, based on over the cap. I don't remember if I used sports track or over the cap. But uh, they had Jacksonville number one in most space. Then the Jets, Indy, New England, Cincy, Denver, Chargers, uh, Washington, Miami, and Tampa. Those are the top ten as far as having space. Um, I don't think he's going to Jacksonville or the Jets unless one of those teams lands Deshaun. And maybe he waits it out and sees if one of those teams does land Deshaun and pairs up again sort of down there. I know they play different sides of the ball, but... You know, the way he was all apologetic to him on the field, I wonder if he wants to sort of help him out one more time. Um, But I feel like the number three team, Indy, makes a lot of sense. I know they're pretty stout on defense. I know they have a lot of horses. But, I mean, a guy like Watt at this point in his career may be – I don't want to call him like a rotational guy necessarily yet, but he is a guy who isn't or probably shouldn't be playing every down. And I think him getting somewhere where he can have a big role but not have to be the cornerstone of that defense, I think Indy's a good fit. I think you look down the line, I think the Chargers, if they can get him across from a healthy Bosa, 
could be an interesting play. I think Miami, with all the horses they added on defense last year, is really intriguing. And then there's Tampa, who I don't see going after him, with them having Barrett and JPP already in place to rush. But, I mean, you never know. What about you? Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up Tampa because I've seen people say, like, oh, if he just wants to win, that's obviously, like, the best fit. But at the same time, it's, like you said, they have Shaq Barrett. But then also reports have come out, I think it was yesterday or today in an interview, he said, like, it's time for him to get his bag or something something like that. So the guy clearly wants to get paid. And I know they said, like, Mike Evans is willing to take a pay cut or restructure his contract to free up money. But if Shaq Barrett's going to demand probably $15, 20000000 million a year, so if they can't afford that and he ends up moving on, taking taking the money from somewhere else, then J.J. Watt would make sense as a guy that they could probably throw. I don't know if he's going to, like, it's not going to be about the money for him right now because he's made a ton of money. I think he honestly just wants to go somewhere that he could win. And what better place than that would be, obviously, with Tampa, who just won the Super Bowl. But a team that I don't see mentioned a lot is Tennessee. And I think they would be, like, a perfect fit because they've been looking for an edge rusher for forever. Obviously, the whole Clowney situation didn't work. And he used to, Mike Vrabel used to be his defensive coordinator in Houston. They apparently love each other. So, I've, and they're a team that's technically, I guess you could say, is, is a contender because they, they have gone pretty far in the playoffs and back to back seasons. So, I think that's kind of a sleeper team that nobody's really talked about that I would, I would love to see him play for. And obviously, he would stay in the division. So, it's a division he's familiar with. So, I don't know. I think that would be kind of fun. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't put that together because I like I said I only really looked at the top ten teams as far as space. Yeah, but I know with the NFL things can be fluid. You can move money around, so you know you never can rule anybody out completely. But when you're talking about getting the bag, you mean Shaq Barrett, right? Yeah. I assume not JJ. No, no, Shaq okay. Barrett said that. Okay, that's that's that's, that's a big difference because I was to say because I could see that if, if that's the case, especially now that Barrett has his ring. Maybe he does go to a place like Jacksonville or the Jets. And then, yeah, that frees up Watt to go to a more veteran team. Tennessee makes a lot of sense if they could just free up the money. And I don't think Watt, like you said, I don't think he's going to command top dollar at this point. I mean, in the last two years, and I know he missed half of last year, but in the last two years, he combined only had nine sacks, which is uh, two and a half less sacks than Leonard Williams had this year. Yeah. And granted, Leonard Williams, this was his finally breakout year. And who knows if that's a fluke, even considering that he is in line to now get paid. But I think when you see that, then the Watt name on the jersey isn't worth the Watt that you're expecting to see on the field. But like I said, if you just want sort of kind of what JPP had become with Tampa, where it's like JPP doesn't have to be, you know, the premier defender on that team. He's just one piece of many. And he played his role really well this year. But I think that's a sort of role that that, uh, that Watt can kind of play. Because, I mean, JPP only had nine and a half sacks this year, eight and a half last year. He hasn't exactly been lighting the world on fire, but he came up big when it mattered in the playoffs. And I think that's a role that, that Watt can fill on wherever he goes. Yeah, and uh, to get the exact quote, Shaq Barrett said, I feel like it's time for me to break the bank now. So clearly the guy wants to get paid. I think he has like close to 30 sacks combined over the last two seasons. So it'll be money, 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 money. Yeah, exactly. It'll be interesting to see how teams view it because basically he was like a situational pass rusher the first five years of his career in Denver and never had more than like five sacks or something like that. And then now he's been back to back years in Tampa. He's 
like lit the world on fire. So I don't know how yeah. other teams are going to view it. They might just think, oh, he's just great in Todd Bowles' scheme. But uh, well, there's also like I said, there's also that question of like we know Levante David, we know that Devin White were both all pro uh, all pros this year. We know what JPP can be at times in Vita Vea. So is it yeah, like you said, is it a little bit more of like our team's going to question if he's a product of a system and being in a loaded front that just kind of lets him get less attention? And is he going to be the same guy if he is the focal point? I think he's still definitely worth the risk. Um, I don't foresee the Giants spending that sort of money, but I think a team that does need a pass rusher is worth taking a shot on him. Yeah, and I know like immediately people said all the Steelers to go play with his brother or whatever, but his brother also needs to be paid. Like his brother was in the final year of his contract, so he he needs to get paid also. And And the Steelers team is just in flux too with like the whole Big Ben thing. If he's retiring, what are they doing at quarterback? If he's not retiring, how much does he really have left? If he just wants to go play with his brother, I guess. But um, another team we didn't mention, too, is the whole Wisconsin connection. Going back to Quinn Miners and maybe Packers. What about Green Bay? Yeah, like that, that makes sense, too, in terms of, like, oh, wanted to go home and everything like that. But when... I, mean, I, know they have, I know they spent big money on uh, the Smith brothers. Yeah, they have – but Preston Smith is a Darius Smith, and then they also spent a high pick on Rashawn Gary. So I feel yeah. like they're kind of set. They have a good trio of rushers there. And adding J.J. Watt would kind of be a little excessive, and I'm not sure what their like, cap situation is. I think they'll be more focused on like adding weapons on offense through the draft or maybe whatever they can spend a little bit. I know they apparently tried to trade for like Will Fuller during the season, so maybe they try and throw some money at him in free agency. But I feel like their defense is pretty stout, I mean, especially along the edge. But – I don't know. It's going to be fun to see where he goes. I know there were players already like publicly vouching for him and then trying to get him to come. I know Lane Johnson was trying to get him to come to Philly, but that's not happening. Obviously, the Eagles have no. Well, because that's the, I say, that's the thing. You figure Watt is still a guy who just the fact and, and you saw it when he was talking to Watson walking off the field last at the end of the season. Watson, I mean, Watt is a guy you want in your room. I feel like even if he's a shell of himself. And he's not necessarily a shell. Like, he had 17 quarterback hits, 21 quarterback hits the last two years. But he's not the guy he once was, but he is, I think, a guy that you want there for his leadership, for his experience. Like, not that you sh- you should sign room guys. I mean, I don't want to sound too much like, David Get- like Dave Gettleman. But I think to some degree, Watt is that sort of ultimate room guy with talent. And so from that perspective, I think any team should want him if they can make the numbers work. Yeah, and there was already a report from ESPN that uh, the Steelers and the Browns are among a large group that will express interest in J.J. Watt. So the Browns are a little bit of an interesting group. Well, I would expect, just logically, I would expect 31 NFL teams to express interest. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everybody should at least try to call his agent, see where his head is, see what his, what his bottom line is looking like. Because if J.J. Watt decides hey, I just really want to play in, let's just say, for example, New England because I really love Belichick, and so I'll take, you know, not much money, then, of course, you, you got to find that out. You know what I mean? Even if you're like a weird team like, I don't know, let's just say Cincinnati, if it's like, oh, no, it turns out J.J. Watt secretly really loved Zach Taylor for years, then why not try to get a guy like that? I think everybody should be trying to get him. It's just if he's going to want that sort of top DN money, you're obviously, I don't think you're paying him that at this point in his career. But just one more thing to go backwards for a minute. Because um, I know people have brought up 
I'd hope half jokingly, um, the Watson comparison with Watt and the contracts and how Watson wants out and he's being held there where Watt wants out and he gets it the same day. There's a big difference between having no dead money on your cap and having $67 million, which is what Houston would be tied to if they let Deshaun walk right now. There's also a big difference between Deshaun signing his contract months ago and Watt signing it. I don't know when Watt signed his last extension, but definitely not over the summer. So just to put it into a little bit more perspective, not to mention the whole idea that Watt is not playing at the same level, so obviously he's not going to get the same picks in return that Watson would. Yeah, of course, and I was going to transition into that. It's like you can't compare the two situations. One guy was literally the face of the franchise for almost 10 years, and Deshaun Watson's, I mean, he has been the face of the franchise for the past three or four years, but you can't compare it because, like you said, the, the contract, there's a huge difference. And people are going to say, oh, how could you just, like right away I saw people on Twitter like, oh, you could, how are you just going to honor what the white guy wants and then hold the black guy against his will? Like, no, it has nothing to do with that. It's all about the contract and what the player has done for the franchise. J.J. Watt's situation is a lot easier to deal with and a lot less complex. And just, just, and just their value. Like Deshaun is a guy who is going to get you multiple firsts from a team, yeah. possibly three firsts and a great player. J.J. Watt, even if you really dug your heels in, really wanted to find somebody who absolutely wanted Watt, is probably going to get you at best maybe a second or a third. And I don't want to downplay that. That's a pick a lot of people would like to have. But if you lose out on potentially getting a second or third, that's a, a lot and you save all your cap money in the process. That's a big difference between that and paying sixty-seven million and not getting any draft picks back. Yeah, and it just probably—I'm sure they—they they spoke to JJ Watt, and I know that people said that they didn't shop him around or anything, but I'm sure they took some calls and saw what teams were offering and which teams they were, and they probably told JJ like, "Oh, hey, the Browns, this team, and this team are willing to offer us this, but uh, would you want to go there?" And if he said no, they're like, "All right, we'll just part ways and just move on." Yeah, so it'll be fun to see where he lands. Obviously, he's an easy player to root for. And like you said, every team should be making a call for him. Just like every team probably not named the Chiefs or the Seahawks is making a call about Deshaun Watson. When a, pl- a player of that caliber becomes available, you kind of just have to do your due diligence and see what it would take. So, uh, But moving on to uh, the whole Deshaun Watson situation, there's a whole lot of rumors going around about quarterbacks this year and in the offseason. It should be fun. A lot of people probably changing places, so we saw Deshaun Watson's obviously still frustrated. We've talked about him a bunch on this show. But also we had some news come out about my boy Carson Wentz with the Eagles. It seems like uh, supposedly they're holding out for a Matthew Stafford type of offer. I don't see that happening at all. Part of the reason that offer was so crazy was because a lot of people assume that the Lions got an extra first-round pick for taking on the contract of Jared Goff. And I think Carson Wentz is more in the Jared Goff category than he is the Matthew Stafford category. So I was surprised when reports came out saying, oh, the Eagles are definitely getting at least the first-round pick and more. There's so much interest, blah, blah, blah. But now it all seems like that was just Howie Roseman doing what he does and feeding his narratives to the media and trying to build a market that really wasn't actually there. So now we're trying to – we kind of see it stalling out. So I think he'll be moved eventually. It's just a matter of them finally finding an offer they think is good enough. I still think it'll be just like a day-two pick and a player or something like that. But what, what do you think of that entire situation? I mean, I hope if our guy Quinn, Quinn Mainers, or sorry, Miners, is in Philly, that he is blocking for Carson Wentz. I want <laughs> Carson Wentz to stay in Philly 
for the remainder of his career, play out that whole contract, keep that 30 plus million on the Eagles cap for as long as you can. But honestly, if I'm Philly, I try to get a first, at least a first from somebody just because of like, not for nothing. I don't, I don't think Wentz is good. I've talked about it before. I think Wentz could have been really great at one point. We had this argument years ago about the runaway MVP idea, but the problem with Wentz is he's either good or healthy. It feels like at this point, and that's a really hard pill to swallow where it's like he can be on the field, but playing poorly, or he could be playing out of his mind and guaranteed to miss the end of the season. So it feels like there's almost a no win situation for Wentz because it feels like the first season that he's healthy and playing well will be the first season that he's been healthy and played well for a whole season. And that to me is what would scare me off from other teams almost even more than the contract. And I mean, that contract is not a help either, but I think it's just a matter of like, what Wentz do you get and when do you get him? Because he tried to play basically every game this year, but we saw he looked like a shell of himself. I still think he has potential. He's still relatively young, but I don't know what you get back from him. I think somebody will ultimately fork over a first, probably one late first, but I think you're going to have to be willing to take that or less, especially with the length and the expense of his contract. Like you said, it may end up being a day two pick. And I don't know who does that. Maybe, because like I said, again, we're talking about cat room. I wonder if a team like a New England, I know Indy is the popular pick for him, but I wonder if a team like New England with Belichick just trying to get the sort of last that he can and maybe get one more ring or two more rings. I wonder if they would be willing to sort of part with whatever picks they have to try to get a Wentz. But beyond that, I don't see a lot of teams. I mean, Washington with the eighth most cap room sitting there kind of makes a lot of sense, but you rarely see those interdivision trades. So who else would really want him? I think I don't think Miami would want to even touch that. The Jets and the Jaguars don't seem like that would make any sense for either of them since he has their quarterback. Like where where does he even fit is the problem. Yeah, and that's what's like kind of telling about the entire situation was all the reports were that oh the the Colts and the Bears are the front runners for him. And then the reason that a lot of people used was obviously they both need a quarterback. They've struggled at the position for years or had inconsistency at the position. But when you look at the Colts, they have Frank Reich as their head coach and Press Taylor on their staff now. Those are both coaches that have reportedly great relationships with Carson Wentz, and they both saw him at his best in 2017. And then on the Bears, you have John Filippo as their, their um, quarterback coach and their passing game coordinator. He just got a promotion. And he was the quarterback coach for the Eagles in 2017. So these are guys that have seen Carson Wentz play at his best. And if those teams aren't jumping for joy at the possibility of getting him and and just doing whatever it takes to get him, I feel like that kind of sends a message to the rest of the league, like, watch out. Like, we don't really know if he's worth it. And I see a lot of Eagles fans on Twitter saying, I can't believe these teams aren't willing to offer a first-round pick, but then they're moving on and showing interest in Sam Darnold. But in my opinion – if I'm a team, I'd much rather take a chance on Sam Darnold. He's five years younger. He costs a hell of a lot less at least next year, and then you can make a decision on his fifth-year option or franchise tag or extension after that. But he's five years younger, and people like to say, oh, Carson Wentz didn't have a good offensive line. He didn't have a lot of weapons. You can use all of those same excuses for Sam Darnold. And he obviously had 
Adam Gase, who we saw what happened with Ryan Tannehill once he left, the guy has no idea what he's doing with quarterbacks unless their name's Peyton Manning. So it's just like I'd, if I'm a team that needs a quarterback right now, I would much rather throw picks at the Jets for Sam Darnold than I would for Carson Wentz, and I don't think it's very close. I I agree with you, and I don't want to ever take away from you um, bashing Carson Wentz because I enjoy it, but I think Darnold and Wentz are kind of for different for different audiences almost. Um, I think Darnold. I don't. If I'm a team like Chicago or Indy that like feels like my roster is ready to win now, I think I would rather try to move whatever chips I had to move around to get Wentz, as questionable as he is, just because we know that when he is healthy and does have a good line, he can play at an MVP caliber pace. Even though he struggled this year, with Darnold, like a bunch of people have said. We haven't even really seen those, and you even mentioned it, I think, on our first podcast, you haven't even seen those flashes of greatness. So if I'm a team that's anywhere near rebuilding, like a middle, or even a team that like has a veteran who I'm not totally sold on, then I would rather Darnold over Wentz. But if I'm just in that pure win now, I want to get a ring in the next two or three seasons, I would be willing to try to move whatever mountains I had to to get Wentz, you know, within reason, provided obviously I can't get Deshaun or a top two pick, let's say, in the draft. Yeah, of course. But it's just like, I feel like especially obviously after watching all the games last season, and a lot of people have said it, like Carson Wentz, he literally looks like a broken quarterback. Like his mechanics are all messed up. I think he had, I think he had 15 interceptions total last season. I, I think I saw on Pro Football Focus that five of them came when he was under pressure. 10 of them came from a clean pocket. So it's like you're not even – you can't even use the excuse that, oh, he had a terrible offensive line. He took such and such um, however many sacks. It's just like the guy was shook. He had, like, no idea what he was doing out there. And then you add on top of that, like, apparently he's tough to coach and things like that. It's just – there's it seems like Eagles fans are trying to sell themselves on Carson Wentz being valuable, but then in the next sentence they're saying how bad he was. So it's like – the rest of the league sees that they they watched him just as much as we did, so I don't think he's I don't know the market is very weird and I'm afraid to see what they eventually settle on getting taken for him. The only thing that I will say to play devil's advocate is with a guy like Wentz, maybe he and you would think if there was injuries that they probably would have leaked by now, but I wonder if any part of him was like feeling the pressure of always being hurt and him being like, listen, I'm going to have to just go on the field this year, no matter what, do whatever it takes and force whatever I force and just sort of like try to show everybody that like, I'm, uh, I'm not a broken man physically. And I wonder if even with like the lack of coaching and stuff, I mean, we saw from that last game, Doug Peterson may have no actual clue what he's doing. So a part of me does think maybe Wentz in the right situation without that same pressure on him. And I know if he goes to a win now situation, he's going to have a, a different level of pressure, but just not that sort of like, we traded all these picks for you. We moved up in the draft to get you. We won a Super Bowl, almost not despite you, but without you. Like, I wonder if he just needs to sort of clear his mind and get to a fresh location. And I wonder if that can help him like have a rebirth. Yeah. Almost like, like I said, in a different, in a different way, because this guy didn't fall apart in his last season with the former team. But I look at it almost a little bit like the way that it could have been with Drew Brees going from San Diego to New Orleans. 
where it was like, and like I said, Drew Brees didn't struggle as much as Wentz did this last year, but I feel like it was similar in that Drew Brees was a relatively accomplished quarterback who had some good years in San Diego, but then there was a young upstart nipping at his heels and it just seemed better for everybody because of his injury questions that he'd just get out of there. And like I said, it was different because that was free agency. But I, I wonder if he can have a similar sort of rebound given the right situation. Yeah, I think it's, like I said a couple episodes ago, that it's definitely best for both sides to just move on, even with a new head coach in Philadelphia, because clearly he's just checked out and he needs a fresh start. So, like I said, like we said, the Colts and the Bears make the most sense because they have coaches that have successfully worked with him in the past. But it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen soon. It has to happen by I think it was March nineteenth, whatever, like the third day of the league year is, because that's yeah. when a, a ten million dollar bonus kicks in. That whichever team has him has to pay him that. So they could either agree to push that date well, back. That could or... make, I say that could make him. That could make trading him actually more tempting after that fact, though, because if teams are like we can save ten million if we wait to trade him, I wonder if that's why a team like India Chicago, that has such a sort of win now mentality, might want to wait and. It may not necessarily be that, like, Reich and Press Taylor don't like him. It may be that, all right, if we wait a little bit longer, we can get him for $10 million cheaper. Yeah. I wonder if that's some of the thinking there. I don't think that's going to happen because the Eagles are already eating $33 million. They're not going to take on 10 more just to do a team a favor and just get rid of him. That's but I also team. don't think but, – but they're also not going to release him and be, you know, $30 million in dead cap or whatever the, the hit number is. So – I think if you just play hardball and wait till that deadline, I don't, I don't, like I said, I, I mean, obviously no team is over the moon in love with him. Cause then you would make that Matt Stafford sort of sweetheart deal. But I think teams may like him more than we're thinking right now and just be a little wiser to sort of the context of it all. Yeah, that could be true. But like I said, uh, I think it's just, I can't see that happening. I think teams in the past have negotiated that date back with players and, they worked with teams to, to figure it out as it gets closer to the draft. But uh, moving on, we'll talk about a very controversial hiring that took place when uh, Urban Meyer, the new head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, announced his staff. So he announced that Chris Doyle, the former University of Ohio, oh, Iowa strength and conditioning coach, is going to be the Jaguars director of sports performance. So um, this guy has a little bit of a, a checkered past. A lot of stuff came out this past year. God, this- this made me face palm when I read the the details of what he was like accused of and stuff. Yeah, so he's got some crazy allegations against him. He, the guy is just basically a blatant racist. And I'm gonna, but, but I'm just gonna say this: it's what's craziest about these allegations to me is how 100 percent believable they are. Now we can't sit here because he wasn't convicted anywhere and say that they 100 percent for a fact happened, but. I feel like when you get accused of like, oh, this person threw around the N-word or whatever, it's like a lot of times I have trouble believing that because I feel like we live in a society where we all know that that's not acceptable in any situation. Obviously, some of us don't. But any normal level-headed person does. But the things that Doyle was accused of are things that I can 100% believe somebody is racist enough but protected enough to do. Like he was accused by players of Apparently, there was a black player who went over after a weightlifting drill and didn't clean. They're supposed to like dip their hands in rice before they do their weightlifting, and he didn't get all the rice off the bar. So he like Doyle made him come back and clean it. And then when he walked away, he said something to the effect of like, "Oh, why are you walking away with all that swagger? I'll put you right back on the streets." 
And the person who said that he said this said that this guy came from a stable household with two parents and everything else. And that sounds like something uh, sort of racist who knows enough not to get themselves fired on the spot would do. Or like another one was um, he asked one of the players where they were the night before and the player said my girl's house. And he supposedly put his pants, like sagged his pants and said, oh, I was at my girl's house or whatever. And it's like, that's the type of stuff that if you're a racist, you can get away with in a lot of places. And just knowing that, it's like, it'd be one thing if this guy was some absolute brilliant offensive mind who, despite his questionable character, can, you know, revolutionize the sport and maybe you overlook it for that. And not saying that's right, but at least you can understand why somebody might. But this guy is the director of sports performance. He was a strength and conditioning coach. And granted, Iowa is known for having big, strong boys. As one of my favorite wrestlers, Biggie, came out of Iowa. But thats it's just not a position that seems to warrant all the backlash that's going to come with it. And there's the Fritz Pollard Alliance, who had a really good statement. And I had it, and I think I just lost it. But uh, they said, okay, here is their quote from the Fritz Pollard Alliance. And the Fritz Pollard story, just on a whole, on, on, as an aside, is a really interesting story. And I think we should do like a whole podcast during the offseason on just Fritz Pollard. Because I had never heard of him until a college professor of mine who happened to be a former football coach at Lincoln um, told me a little bit about him. But the statement from the Fritz Pollard Alliance said, at a time when the NFL has failed to solve its problems with racial hiring practices, it is simply unacceptable to welcome Chris Doyle into the ranks of NFL coaches. Doyle's departure from the University of Iowa reflected a tenure riddled with poor judgment and mistreatment of black players. His conduct should be disqualified for NFL as it was for the University of Iowa. Urban Meyer's statement, I have known Chris for close to 20 years, reflects the good old boy network that is precisely the reason there is such disparity in employment opportunities for black coaches. And I mean, I think that hits the nail right on the head. There's absolutely no reason this guy should be employed by any NFL team with that being his past. It it doesn't make sense. Like there's 32 of these positions in the league. You don't have the room to have a guy with that sort of troubling history. And I'm not saying this guy necessarily has to be locked up or what he did was illegal, but he's just that's just not a guy you want around players, especially a strength and conditioning guy who is going to be the guy who's spending probably the most time around your players, especially in the offseason. You don't want a guy who players are not going to get along with and players who are already going into being like, this guy has a personal grudge against me or I just don't like this guy. Why even bother? It seems like it's for Urban Meyer, who's supposed to be a great football coach. It's It seems like a, just a really stupid move. Yeah, and it seems like I really liked everything that Urban Meyer was doing. I feel like he put together a strong staff, at least from what I saw. And then I saw that he hired this guy and it kind of just overshadows everything else that he did. Because like you mentioned, you, there's no room for a guy like this in the NFL. There's only 32 of these jobs in the world, at least as far as the NFL goes. And you chose to hire this guy, especially in during this offseason that has been so rightfully criticized for the lack of minority coaches getting jobs. So to for this guy to be fired by the University of Iowa and then basically get a promotion by getting a job in the NFL is unbelievable. And I feel like all of the... What's even- What's even crazier to me is 
even if he's known him for 20 years, he's also never been on his staff. It's not like he was winning or competing for national championships with him at Ohio State or at Florida or at Utah. They may have a personal relationship. They've never had a professional relationship, to my knowledge, before this. So that makes it even more ridiculous. Yeah, I just don't understand how it happened. And like, like you said, like that was Urban Meyer's statement when he was asked about it. He's just like, oh, yeah, I know this guy for 20 years, and I vet everybody, and that won't be happening. But like, if you vet everybody, the, literally when you search this guy's name, that's the first thing that comes up. So why would you even take the chance of adding The that- other problem, too, is the problem, too, is even if you vetted this guy and you say this isn't going to happen ever again, and it probably won't because this guy's probably smart enough to know that this is his last chance. Players know that it happened or at least that it allegedly happened. And that alone is going to make people walk on eggshells around this guy and be like, okay, regardless of what this guy's saying in public, I know what he thinks in private. And I know relationship has some, like if you're, and like I said, we've both grown up with some black friends that we're pretty, pretty close with. And depending on the sort of level of comfort you have with people sort of helps determine where that line is with certain sort of jokes and ways that you can sort of tackle topics. But it's clear that these players were uncomfortable with it and that other players were uncomfortable with it. So I can't imagine any pro would be cool with this guy in their locker room and in their, you know, training facility. Yeah. And it's crazy to think because um, I heard earlier today that I think his name's Craig Mabin. He's a cornerback, but um, he's a former Iowa player and he's a black player. So, I mean, he's clearly seen what this guy did. So I'm sure there's going to be whispers already in the locker room, like, yo, watch out for this guy, or this is what he said in the past and whatnot. So it just seems like just a terrible move at obviously a sensitive time in the world that it just doesn't make any sense. And it seems like Urban Meyer just wasn't thinking when he he made this decision and he deserves all of the backlash that's coming his way. And it's hard too, because like what you would, the reason you would think you hire this guy looking at it, without this is like because i saw people complaining about basically like the culture in iowa like you you weren't allowed basically to be black at iowa and i obviously that's like that's wrong but i will say if the culture was sort of reinforcing a more buttoned up professional approach like you don't want guys walking around with their pants sagging you don't want that sort of stuff i think you can have that and i think that's a fine way of looking at things but you can have that without sort of making fun of people and like belittling, you know what I mean? Like there's ways to tackle those topics and talk to guys about wanting a more professional presentation without being like, without completely discrediting and belittling the guys and what they are used to being. Yeah. It just seems. And that's a line that it seems like Doyle doesn't know how to walk. Yeah. I I think, I think we can move on from this guy. I think we'll end off on a little bit of a lighter topic. So uh, if anybody listened to last week's episode, they heard our uh, your little spiel at the beginning about the legendary former Giants quarterback, Alex Tanney. So it's only right that we talk about how he retired uh, right around when I recorded our last episode. And then I believe it was yesterday, it was announced that he is now an offensive quality control coach for my Philadelphia Eagles. So, they <laughs> <laughs> uh, made me so happy. This is it's immediate. One man's trash is another man's different level of trash yeah it, i immediately tweeted right away as like a joke that oh my god how could the eagles do this to carson wentz first they bring in jalen hurts <laughs> and now they bring in alex tanny so well they had to bring it they had to bring in tanny because he needed confidence of the one quarterback that he was probably better than even last year in the division yes so um uh, but if i could just be serious for one second 
Tanny must be a really like we go back to room guys. Tanny must be a really great room guy because in nine seasons, the guy basically threw what fifteen passes. You have to be a really great locker room guy, and those sort of guys, and being in that many systems as he was in, he's probably going to be an okay coach. I'm not saying he's going to be great, but I don't really see the harm in this hire. Yeah, I feel like the NFL has kind of taken to like these questionable, mediocre backup quarterbacks. Like you see Kellen Winslow and Mike Kafka. They've both become like pretty notable names in like the offensive coaching scene. So maybe they you mean Kellen Moore? Kel- Kellen Winslow. Wow. Completely yes. different situation. Yes, 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 yes. Kellen Moore. I don't think anybody wants Kellen Winslow in their coaching. Yeah. So so Kellen Moore and uh what's his name? Mike Kafka. So those guys kind of they're already getting like head coaching interviews and stuff like that. So maybe the Eagles and now with Josh McCown as well with the Texans. So I feel like maybe the Eagles are just trying to take another mediocre backup quarterback and see what he can do as a coach. But, I mean, it doesn't hurt, but it'll be fun to see what happens. No, like I said, he's worth kicking the tires. I think it'll be the ultimate forgettable move. I don't think he's going to be terrible. And offensive quality coordinator, whatever the hell his position is, it's like it's the ultimate, like, starting spot, it seems like. like. It's like a guy who you think may have the potential to do something in the future, but you don't want to put any real responsibility on his shoulders right now. It's kind of like a coaching intern, yeah, and I think uh, the tie that he has is uh, apparently Nick Sirianni was a coach for the Chiefs when Alex Tanny was there as a rookie. So apparently, oh, you guys are you guys are getting the whole band back together. Yeah, so Watch we're, out. we're reaching way back. Oh my god, I'm just looking now at all the teams. Alex. Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid better. Uh, yeah, definitely. But uh, keep their heads on a swivel. Yeah, Alex Tanny has been on the Chiefs, Cowboys, Browns, Buccaneers, Titans, Bills, Colts, Titans again, Jeez. and then the Giants. So this guy's uh, been. Oh, and then also, right away, all the Eagles reporters were saying, oh, that's the trick shot guy. So I don't know if you remember. Yeah, like, back- I was going to – yo, we did not – okay, I'm sorry to, like, be so excited. If I had seen that video before I, like, realized what Alex Tanny was the last couple of years, I would have been banging the drum for Alex Tanny all the way. I only saw that the day we recorded that show, that he basically did his own version of the Dude Perfect stuff. Yeah. It's amazing. I want him back on the Giants now after seeing that. I didn't realize he was – like, i never seen that video before, but I didn't realize he could be that guy. So if nothing else, the Eagles might have some uh, viral YouTube videos in the next couple of years. <sighs> At least you got one guy who can throw the ball on target. Hey, all right. On that note, I think we're going to end this. This was episode eight of D Blitz. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at ByADebona. You can follow the show on Twitter at the Blitz Podcast. You can follow John on Twitter at Jorge Blanco. That's H-O-R-H-A-Y-B-L-A-N-C-O. And please subscribe and follow on whatever listening platform you're using. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if that's what you're using as well. Thank you all, and we'll see you next Also, oh, I was just going to say, also, we didn't uh, plug Quinn Miner's Twitter, but his Twitter is at Q Miners. He doesn't use it much, it seems like, but he does get on it now and then. So uh, definitely look up. Q Miners also on Twitter. Definitely go follow your new favorite offensive lineman on Twitter. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thank you. Bye, everybody.